0: Welcome to The Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Morning and welcome to The Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next few minutes, I would like to invite you to stay with me. Stay with me here on The Flatline for 30 minutes of motivation and inspiration a little bit of education and never any manipulation because we don't have hidden agendas we're not trying to sell you anything we're not trying to have you join up not trying to get you to fess up we are simply trying to give you accurate information information which I believe will help you verify and identify the plan of God for your life so that's all this radio show is about no human speculation, just hopefully some divine revelation from the Word of God, the scriptures called the Bible, the canon of scripture. And when you hear the show called The Flatline, maybe you wonder, what a strange name. Well, yes, it is a strange name. This phrase was actually used by my pastor many years ago, who was a retired military colonel. The flat line was something in the military. It's called the forward line of troops, F L O T, and he used that analogy in a spiritual way. And what he basically taught me, and what I'm teaching you, is that there can be an invisible forward line of troops on the main line of resistance of your soul. These invisible troops are basically ten wonderful problem-solving devices found in the Bible. It's nothing new, nothing we've come up with that's some new discovery. These are age-old biblical doctrines that have always been there. But when you understand these 10 problem-solving devices and when you use them, then you can stop the outside source of adversity before it becomes the inside source of stress. So what we say on this show is that adversity is inevitable, and yet stress is optional. Because adversity is what circumstances do to you, and stress is what you do to yourself. So we talk about the 10 unique problem-solving devices, wonderful assets God the Father has given to each member of the royal family of God. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, You are, in fact, a member of the royal family of God, and it's always great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for giving me your time, and thank you for writing your letters. I really enjoy hearing from people in the various states across the country who tell me that this radio show has encouraged them, has leveled them out in certain areas, has helped them to understand things they haven't understood in the past. But let me go on to say this and remind you, I'm not a pastor. I am not your pastor. My job is to maybe be like the guy that opens the window and lets the breath of fresh air come in. Eventually, you must sit under a qualified pastor. You've got to find that man who will teach God's word to you and teach it to you consistently without any hidden agendas. He doesn't charge you for it. Uh, some man that won't try to get you involved in some humanistic rah-rah do-good system, but a man that is qualified in the languages, a man who knows the original languages, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, and who can teach you the Bible from the original languages, who can go into the Word of God and teach you, dissect it line by line, word by word, so that you can learn it. And he must have the gift of pastor teacher. That's a spiritual gift that God the Father gives. According to Ephesians chapter 4, my spiritual gift is the gift of evangelism. And uh, my gift functions outside, primarily outside the local church. But I mean, I can speak in a church and I can speak to you. But predominantly, my gift functions in schools. And you know public schools are not going to let me in today, so we speak mostly in private schools, not Christian schools, but private academies, where there are plenty of young men and women who are anxious to learn God's plan for their life. Unfortunately, our public schools and the public venue has all been shut down, thanks to a decision made way back in the 60s, brought by a lawsuit by Madeline Murray O'Hare a renowned atheist who sued to have prayer taken out of the public schools. And that happened a long time ago. But here we are today, we find ourselves at a crossroads in history. And every day, like me, you pick up the newspaper, or you get online and you read some new twist, some new thing that's going on that threatens the very fabric of our society that threatens the beliefs that we were brought up upon, especially the establishment concepts. What are the establishment concepts? Well, it starts off with freedom, freedom for you to use your volition. God gave you a volition. You are free to use it, and that volition is critical for you. Sometimes you use it the right way, and sometimes you can use it in the wrong way. One night during a heavy fog off the coast of New England, a uh, ship noticed a light directly in its course, and that captain signaled the offender to yield the right-of-way. However, the offender signaled back that the ship should yield the right-of-way. So then the ship signaled that it was a United States Navy warship, and the offender would be rammed if he didn't move. The offender signaled back, well, take your best shot. We are United States Lighthouse. (laughs) Well, you can see a volitional decision there could get you in a lot of trouble. Our volition, we decide, we choose, but we must have all the facts. And in this country today, the things that we face in the future, it's critical for you to know the facts. The facts, nothing but the facts. You're smart enough to figure it out. You're smart enough to understand what you should or shouldn't do. So I'm not here to preach at you or yell at you, but to give you facts. When I became a Christian, it was a few years ago, and I remember directly after I accepted Jesus Christ as my savior, that I learned about sin. I had never really heard much about sin in the past, I had grown up in the city of Birmingham. I had played high school football and went off to play college football at the University of Alabama. Unfortunately, I did not finish my college career there because I decided in my own arrogance that I would head off down the My Way Highway. You know what that is. That's someone in a frantic search for happiness. And so... I uh, made a lot of mistakes, but when I found Christ or when he found me, however you want to put it, it was an amazing thing that happened. I wasn't expecting to go to church. I wasn't expecting to make a decision to receive Christ as my Savior, but so many incidences happened that day that they forced me into a situation where I wound up in church And later, after church, I wound up at a Bible study, and at that Bible study is where I heard the good news that Jesus Christ loved me, that he died for me, that he paid for my sin, and that he was resurrected from the dead, and he's alive today, and even that he would come and live inside of me if I would receive him as my Savior. I didn't know what I was getting into, but... I definitely wanted eternal life, and I definitely wanted to go to heaven. And that night I prayed and asked God to save me. And I told God the Father that I was willing to receive Christ as my Savior. And I didn't feel anything strange happen, nothing like that. But there was an amazing transformation on the inside. Because the Bible says if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and all things become new. That night, your host, me, Rick Hughes, I became a new person in Christ. On the outside, still the same fella, still looked the same, but on the inside, I had been born again, spiritually born again. See, you can't go back to your mother and be born again. Nicodemus discovered that when he talked to Jesus. In John chapter 3 but you can be born again and what that simply means is that when we're born into this world we're born spiritually dead because we're related to Adam have you heard the Bible where it says by one man sin came into the world and death by sin and now death has passed on all for all have sinned and the wages of sin is death that was me born physically alive but spiritually dead, and then at the age of 22, receiving Jesus Christ as my Savior and being born again. What that meant was that my dead human spirit was made alive. The Holy Spirit came to live inside of me, and now I have fellowship with God because I have the same righteousness that Christ has. That doesn't mean I'm a good person. It means this, he who knew no sin was made sin for us so that we may be made the righteousness of God through him. I have equal righteousness with Christ. It was given to me when I received him as my Savior. And now I have fellowship with the Father, and I know if I die, I'm going to heaven. The Bible says that these things are written so that you may know that you have eternal life. And you should know it as well. There's no reason why you should ever doubt that or worry about that or think maybe I do, maybe I don't. 1 John 5 these things are written so that you may know that you have eternal life. So I left that meeting that night, that Bible study. I knew if I died, I'd go to heaven. I knew I had accepted Christ as my Savior, but I had no idea what lay ahead for me. No idea what God's plan was for me. And I really wasn't thinking about discovering that plan. I was just thinking about what had happened that particular night. You know, I think the worst thing that could be happening to anyone is to be a Christian and not know God's plan for their life. That's a bad position to be in. Not knowing the will of God for your life, not knowing where he wants you to be, not knowing what he wants you to do, that's a bad thing. And that's something that I had to learn. Fortunately, I found a qualified pastor, a man who loved God's word and who taught it firmly and richly. And as I started listening and studying, On a daily basis, I was able to grow and learn, and God was able to use me, because not because I was a great speaker, no, but because I knew what I was talking about. I was not misleading people. Now, one of the things I had to learn about was sin. See, I never really thought much about sin. Then after I became a Christian, I started hearing this word, sin. And my pastor taught me that sin can occur in three areas. Sin can be something that you think. Sin can be something that you say. Or sin can be something that you do. In other words, a mental attitude sin. Have you ever thought about that? What is a mental attitude sin? Well, the Bible says that worry can be a mental attitude sin. The Bible says jealousy can be a mental attitude sin. The Bible says hatred, bitterness, implacability. These are all mental attitude sins. Inordinate competition, mental attitude sin. You know, you can sin and never get out of your chair. You can sin and never get out of the seat of your automobile. I bet you've done it before. Driving to work or going home or traveling on the interstate. If you're like me, you'll have plenty of opportunities to sin because of the way other people drive. So you can sin by what you think. Most people never realize that. Most people never realize that they can break fellowship with God by what they think. Now, I didn't say you would lose your salvation. That's not what I'm saying. See, Jesus Christ said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He said, I give unto them eternal life, and they will never perish. Neither shall anyone ever take them out of my Father's hand. So sin doesn't cause you not to be saved anymore. All your sins were paid for. Every sin you ever did or will do, Christ died for on the cross. But what sin does is it breaks fellowship with God in time. In time when we should be in fellowship with God, when we should be having the Holy Spirit controlling our life, we're not, because the Bible says the Holy Spirit is quenched and the Holy Spirit is grieved because of our sin, and so we learn the problem-solving device that's critical to deal with sin, and it's called rebound, rebound, Problem-solving device, number one out of those 10 unique problem-solving devices. Rebound is taught in Psalm 32, 4, and 5 in the Old Testament, First John 1, 9 in the New Testament. Even the story of the prodigal son has a beautiful illustration of rebound. When the prodigal son came home and said, Father, I have sinned against you and no longer worthy to be called your child. And the father said, Ridiculous. Yes, you're still my child. See, we sin. We sin by something we think, and we can sin by something we say. Yes, you can sin by gossiping. You can sin by slandering. You can sin by lying. These are sins of the tongue, and the Bible warns against these, warns against them. All through the book of Proverbs, the sins of the tongue are talked about book of James, the sins of the tongue are talked about. You can start a huge fire with the sins of the tongue. And so you can sin by what you think, and you can sin by what you say. I never knew that. I always thought it was just what you did. You know, I equated sin to getting drunk or to fornicating or committing adultery. I committed sin to stealing or Something like that, that's what I always thought it was. It never dawned on me that I was sinning by something I could think or I was sinning by something that I could say. But I knew, even though I was a Christian, that I could still sin. Yes, we can still sin. And we can recover from our sin very quickly. You see, when you sin, let me give you an illustration If you sin at uh, 8 a.m. in the morning, when should you confess that sin? Should you wait until you go to bed at night, at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, and then tell God the Father on your knees by your bed, I sinned this morning at 8 o'clock. Please forgive me? No. The Bible says when we sin, then we should immediately name that sin. Don't put it off. And you know what? It doesn't say you have to ask God to forgive you. It says you have to tell God what you did. You want to hear it again? If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to purify us from all wrongdoing. Did you hear anything about saying I'm sorry? Did you hear anything about I promise not to do it again? That's not there. What's there is if we confess our sin, and the word confess means to name, to agree with God, so when you've sinned, let's say you're driving to work and you break fellowship with God because you get angry at the guy that just cut you off and did a nasty sign at you with his hand, and your temper flared up, that old red neck carnal nature, your veins bulged out, and you in your mind wanted to go whack him, then you just simply ease off the throttle there, big guy, and simply go to the Father and say, Lord, I just lost my temper. I just committed mental attitude sin of hatred. And bingo, you're cleansed. If you don't admit that sin, then you quench God the Holy Spirit, you grieve God the Holy Spirit, And all day long, you're walking through the jungle by yourself. You don't have a guide. That Holy Spirit's not able to lead you. He's not able to comfort you because you put him in a box. You sinned and you didn't deal with it. So whenever you sin, whether it's something that you say, something that you think, or something that you do, you must admit it and admit it quickly. Therefore, that guarantees that God the Holy Spirit will not be boxed up and you will be obeying what the Bible says. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You'll be obeying what the Bible says when it says, be filled with the Spirit. You see, you're sealed with the Spirit the moment you accept Christ as your Savior. And you're filled with the Spirit. The moment you accept christ as your savior but the first time you sin as a christian you don't lose the ceiling you simply quench the filling and when you rebound when you come to the father and admit your sin then you are filled again and you can resume your spiritual life and i can see you right now saying i can't keep up with every sin that i do well who can The Bible says, name the ones you're aware of. He'll even cleanse you from the ones you don't remember. And don't promise him you're not going to do it again. Then Satan will hem you up. And when you do it again, you'll feel so guilty, you'll think, I'm not even a Christian. Look, I lied to God and I did it again. You have a sin-infected human nature. You're going to do it again. You're going to obey the lust of your flesh from time to time. Now, there may be self-righteous religious people that say, I would never do that. No, but you may criticize and malign and run down another person that doesn't live up to your standards. That's why about half people don't even go to church anymore. They've been judged so much by Mr. Self-Righteous. So deal with your sin, whatever it is, and admit it to God. And he's faithful and just to forgive you. There's something else you have to learn to deal with. It's called arrogance. It didn't take long after I had become a Christian and I learned how to handle my sin that I discovered that I'd been arrogant a lot of times. Arrogance. It's not really talked about very often in churches, mainly because there's so much of it. But arrogance is identified in three ways. Self-justification, self-deception, self-absorption. In the Bible, you can find illustrations of arrogance. You can find Peter saying, I would never deny you, Lord. And the Lord said, Peter, I hate to tell you, but before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. In his arrogance, he thought he wouldn't do that. You can find Moses striking the rock at Meribah when the father told him to speak to the rock. When he got angry at the Jews that were recalcitrant, like their family, like their fathers had been, and their fathers didn't go into the promised land. They had to go back into the wilderness and wander around for 40 years till they died off, and now the new generation's there. That first generation had rejected the advice of Joshua and Caleb and listened to the other 10 spies and wouldn't go into the promised land. And Moses, in his arrogance, struck the rock. Instead of speaking to the rock as God told him to do, he struck it, and water came out of the rock as God promised, but Moses never went in the promised land because he did not obey God. He misrepresented God at the Rock of Meribah. Arrogance comes out in a lot of ways. Before Moses ever accepted the plan of God, he murdered an Egyptian and hid his body. You'll find arrogance in the life of nearly everyone in the Bible. Different illustrations, but arrogance always justifies why it's right and everyone else is wrong. Arrogance always is blind. See, when you look into the mirror of arrogance, you don't see yourself as you really are. You see yourself as you think you are. The arrogant person's always trying to straighten everyone else out. Or the arrogant person is rebellious towards authority. You know, most criminals are completely arrogant until they wind up incarcerated and they have enforced humility. But it's an arrogant person that says, I have a right to steal. It's an arrogant person that says, I have a right to abuse. But once you get incarcerated... Then you have enforced humility, and then you're forced to look at yourself and say, you know, I made a mistake. I was so arrogant that I didn't see what I was doing and how wrong it was. God has a way of humiliating all of us. Enforced humility is God's discipline. He brings us all low. In Hebrews twelve six, he disciplines those that he loves, and he has to get our attention. You know what's wrong with arrogance? You can't learn when you're arrogant. It takes humility to learn. The disciples in Matthew were arguing about who was the greatest. And the Lord Jesus Christ called them aside and said, what are you guys talking about? And they got real silent. They didn't want to say. They were arguing about who was going to be the greatest when they came into the kingdom. That's arrogance. And the Lord had to teach them, using the illustration of a child, that if you want to be great in my kingdom, then you have to be last. You have to be a servant. You have to see to the needs of others before you start barking about how wonderful you are. And that's the true thing about the Christian life. The Bible says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself and made himself of no reputation. Humility. Humility is the total opposite of arrogance. Humility never justifies itself. Humility never lies to itself. Humility is never self-absorbed. And yet arrogance is all of those things. And arrogance always leads to self-destruction. Sin, arrogance two things I had to learn about, and then I had to learn about a lack of discernment. I had to learn that I could get out of God's plan very easy by not discerning the circumstances, not discerning the situation. Quit being impulsive. Go slower. Take my time. Verify it with Scripture. Think about it before I do it can be surprised that the change that came three things sin arrogance and a lack of discernment that can destroy all of us and my prayer today is that you're listening and you're learning and you can relate to what i've said until next week this is the host of the flatline rick hughes saying thank you for being with me today Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100 Cropwell, Alabama 35054 or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.